The following bonus episode of Nostrum is brought to you by Manhattan Lodestone. Nostrum, the high school debate soap opera by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostrumite, narrated by Jim Menick. Remember, Nostrum is based on a true story. Series 2, Episode 7. Hail, Hailfoil, well met. You've walked by it, and you may have seen Audrey Hepburn's Holly go lightly having breakfast in front of it. You may even have gone into it. Tiffany and Company on Fifth Avenue in New York City. The ultimate jewelry store. On the fourth floor of the Fifth Avenue store, there is a special department that does not sell jewelry. After all, in this establishment, you can buy china and flatware and stemware and candlesticks and purses and all manner of items that are neither precious nor semi-precious gems, not worn around the neck nor wrist nor finger, not a tiara, not a clip or a pin, not an earring nor a watch fob. On the fourth floor of the building, in the corner of which even the most cognizant of the cognoscenti remain blissfully unaware, you can buy... Tin. Hailfoil Cumcut visited the Tiffany Tin Department regularly, both as a buyer and an eyer. He loved gazing at the latest in trophy designs, in crystal and silver and gasp plastic, but these latter always in drawers and not for prime display. He didn't need to be in a position to buy them, to want to run his fingers over them. And because he so often did buy them, the clerks in their black suits always found time to pull them out from their cases so that he could touch them, fondle them, even caress them. The pleasure he derived from this was, in a word, exquisite. The separation when he might not be buying one this week, the pain of pulling his hand away, of putting the trophy back into its velvet wrapping, also, in a word, exquisite. A connoisseur of trophy tin could have it no other way. Of course, Hailfoil Cumcut never referred to the winning of trophies as the taking of tin. There was no tin in his trophies, unless occasionally alloyed with a soupçon of copper to make bronze, which was acceptable. Silver and gold better still. With finances being what they are, though, crystal was the most likely. Precious, not in its inherent makeup although different, but in its working, its craftsmanship. Cumcut could lecture you if you were inclined to listen on the properties of lead in glass that differentiate crystal from windows and flintstone juice glasses. But most people, especially foreign Sicians, have little interest in heightened refractive indices and reduced viscosity. So we won't delve into that any further in these pages ourselves. Look it up if you, like Cumcut, really care. Today, Cumcut was on his most deliberate mission of the year, the acquisition of the trophies for the Vaganza, or as it was officially known, the Manhattan Lodestone Original Vaganza. All other Vaganzas are extra. As a rule, Cumcut would refer to it by its full name, leaving out the parenthetical byline. 
calling it simply the Veganza in Kumkut's mind, devalued the importance. It was the Manhattan Lodestone original Veganza, just like the school was Manhattan Lodestone, not simply Lodestone, as the vast majority of people in the universe who were not a part of it referred to it. Hail Foil Kumkut was a stickler on the details. At the moment, the clerk, a young woman in a navy suit of jacket over modest length skirt, very traditional and Tiffany conservative, was showing Kumkut samples of crystal compounds available for this year's awards. To anyone else, it looked as if she had put three lumps of glass on a piece of cloth and laid it on the countertop. To Kumkut, it was the heartbreaking decision between, well, refractive indices and viscosities. Heartbreaking to Kumkut, in other words, having to choose among them, leaving out two because he could only have one. Of course, he could put the others on hold for future trophies. None were as important as those for the Veganza, but they were still important. If an event had trophies, then the trophies had to be important. That was the logic with which Kumkut made his determinations when it came to Tournament Tin. He would again bristle, of course, at our calling it Tin. That should be clear by now. It's so hard to choose, he said. I don't know which one. Oh. The clerk patted his hand. She had dealt with Kumkut in the past. He was only a few years older than her recently college-graduated 22, but she was a sympathetic soul to customers like Kumkut, whose souls needed sympathy. I understand, she said. I want the number seven so badly, but oh, the one or three, oh. You can come back tomorrow, the clerk said. A tear came to Kumkut's right eye. He had come every day for the last two weeks, since before school had even started. I've got to decide sooner or later, he said. He looked away from her. Oh, he groaned so loudly that a pair of dowagers in the small leather goods aisle grasped one another's hands in fear. What will I do, he went on. The clerk smiled at him. Come back tomorrow, she said. I'll be here and the samples will still be here, too. He nodded. We decide tomorrow. He smiled gamely. Thank you so much. And with that, Hailfoil Kumkut turned and slowly, in miserable yet exquisite agony, walked away from the corner of Tiffany and Company, where he purchased his tournament trophies. Things had not gone well at Manhattan Lodestone after the murder of Mr. Lopat the director of forensics at the school for as long as anyone could remember. He had been in a wheelchair for many years, and while he was practically worshipped by his students and alums, there was obviously at least one person who had a different opinion of the man. Otherwise, why would someone run him through on a hot summer night with a samurai sword stolen from a cut-rate antiques store on Madison Avenue while he was returning home from a quick grocery shopping trip? Nothing had been stolen as a part of the crime. A couple of hundred dollars in cash, Mr. Lopat's wallet with its credit cards, and a small canvas bag containing a head of bok choy, a halibut, and a box of halibut helper, they had all been left behind by the assailant. The crime remained unsolved to this day. Filling the shoes of the legendary debate god had initially proven virtually impossible. The job was obviously open and available. Mr. Lopat may have been a debate god, but he wasn't still coaching from the afterlife. But there were no takers. Not a single applicant came nosing around, studying the position. 
As a result, the administration of Lodestone, which, by the way, is a magnet school, had no choice but to assign the job to a series of hapless new and as yet untenured teachers who, if they wanted to achieve that miracle of tenure, would do what they were told to do. That they were incapable of handling, much less coaching, the army of Forensicians that was the Lodestone team was beside the point. Manhattan Lodestone was a forensics powerhouse. The lack of a power source in the back of that house wasn't going to stop them. And for three years, taking one apprentice teacher after another and convincing them that they'd be better off in a job that didn't have teaching, adolescence, or forensics within a hundred miles of it, the team hit a new and miraculous competitive milestone. They had become the biggest team of its size ever to suck that badly. You could smell them all the way down to Baltimore and halfway up to Toronto. Who are you hitting in round two? Somebody from Lodestone. Pong! And then Hailfile Cumcut had come along. Hailfile had been a debater himself not too long ago. Not at all a high school star, but certainly a dedicated member of the debate community. It was how he identified himself at his high school, the Pierre South Dakota High School Okobojo Annex, at which he had been one of three students. The other two were the Twining Twins, also known as the Twinning Twines, who for 12 years of their association with Cumcut in their never-exceeding classes of three had never once let five minutes go by without at least a mild act of torture when the teacher, monitor, parent, babysitter, waitress, stable boy, woodcutter, whatever, was looking in the other direction. Cumcut had hated the Twining Twins, and the Twining Twins had hated Cumcut. That there was no other boy within 500 miles, meaning that only one of the twins would be able to ultimately possess young Hale Foil, may have played into their incestuous 12-year drama. Although it was, simply put, uncertain that young Hale Foil would have ever chosen either of them. He was what you might call a confirmed bachelor. Whether it was the twining twins that had made him thus, or if he had always been that way, is a subject for fundamentalist religious leaders to address, and not us. If you're wondering, the twining twins went on to college at Northwestern, where they met Hans Untiani, the Schadenfreude brothers, and have not been heard from since. Hailfoyle Cumcut, on the other hand, after homeschooling himself through college, came to New York, bright lights, as they say, big city and for some unknown reason a desire to enter the education field. His parents, they of the unlimited funds, had only put enough money into the bank to last him a year, although in the manner of a cumcut and not just any schmuck from Okobojo, in other words, he had been able to bring his valet, Mahatma, along with him. Still, if Hailfoil didn't find work, it would be back to Okobojo and the cumcut gold mine fortune. It wasn't that Hailfoil held any animus against his family, it's just that Hailfoil did not see himself as a mining magnet. Neither did his family, for that matter, but signs are signs, and one seldom has a choice in them, unless one is, say, a Plantagenet, but that's another thing altogether. At the beginning of his New York sojourn, Hailfoil Cumcut judged debate rounds, and before long he began learning about various positions that were open and began applying for them. The position at Lodestone, of course, did not appeal to him. 
There's a thousand kids on the lodestone team. People would tell him, you'll just be babysitting, not debating. Or maybe, how is someone like you going to follow in the footsteps, or more accurately, the wheelchair tracks, of a man like Mr. Lopat? One or two of his more snide acquaintances suggested that if he got the job, he'd end up being run through with a samurai sword just like his predecessor, leaving nothing behind but a bag of groceries. The position remained unappealing. And then something clicked. While Hailfoyle was uncharacteristically sitting in a Dunkin' Donuts in Newark, New Jersey, because there was nowhere else to sit, the man who had been once the coach of Vale of Ignorance High School, Seth B. Obamash, who had left in disgrace, but over time paid his debt to society, and who was now the adult voice of forensics via his blog, Quack the Forensic Duck, happened to wander in, and they began to talk, and Seth B. Obamash explained it all to Hailfoyle Cumcut. This is it in a nutshell, Hale. Manhattan Lodestone is the biggest program in America. If you don't go for that job, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. If you take that job, you will influence not dozens of children, not hundreds, but thousands. You will take a program that is foundering and rebuilt it as one of the leading programs in the country. You will take their miserable little veganza tournament that has become so extra and turn it back into the number one event of the season. Your name will live forever in these places where debate is spoken. You will, in a word, become a god. Obamash paused. Or else you'll go back to Okobojo and be the number one Okobojo, albeit a phenomenally rich one. He put his hand on Cumcut's shoulder. I'm only looking out for your best interests here, Hailfoil. And Hailfoil Cumcut had been inspired. He had flown from Newark to Manhattan via path train and stormed into Lodestone, demanding an interview. Unfortunately, it was a Saturday and the school was deserted, but after a bit more thought on his part and after passing a rigorous hiring procedure... You actually want the job? The principal had asked him. Then, hell, you got it. He had become the director of forensics at Manhattan Lodestone, a program of historic proportions. As it turned out, he was the perfect person for the position. Although, if the truth were known, he did keep one eye open for people carrying samurai swords. I mean, one never knows, does one? Does Tiffany really sell debate trophies? Is Hailfoil Cumcut really a secret millionaire? Or for that matter, is it really a secret? Who is behind the mysterious murder of Mr. Low Pat? Do they really sell halibut helper? Do you really want to know? The answers, my friend, are not blowing in the wind of our next episode. You say neither, and I say neither, or... Thank you, Miss Levine. That's Levine. <laughs>